0: Welcome to a podcast from Hope Church Glasgow. For more about us, check out hopechurchglasgow.org. Hi Hope Church and thanks for tuning into this podcast, which is part two of the Bible story. And if you haven't listened to part one, then I would encourage you to do that just to kind of a bit more of a context about what we're talking about in this recording. Um, but if you haven't or if you have then uh, you'll be able to pick it up and join in and um, as we pick up where we were when we finished i've been talking about the the bible story and you know a framework that i use just to kind of help understand the bible story the story that god's given us as this kind of vast book that is confusing and and inspiring and and um, you know sometimes you're like what are you talking about And other times it's a little bit scary or or how it all fits together and, and what bits should we be more important or all these kind of questions that we can have and a framework that's just really helped me going to get to grips with it a little bit more you know by no means do i understand it all but it, it's kind of certainly helped clarify some stuff for me is understanding that the, the bible can be divided into eight scenes if you like scenes like a play and last recording we looked at the the first four which was creation and the fall patriarchs is number two the third scene is the exodus and the fourth scene is the kingdom in this recording we're going to look at number five which is the exile that's where we're going to start six is jesus scene seven is the church and scene eight is the new heavens and new earth and the other thing which is just worth saying for um just for you know curiosity as it were is that um there are six themes that I, i feel like run through the bible starting in genesis and ending in revelation and you know there are other sessions that i would do if i was ever teaching this course as a whole but when we understand what these six themes are and how they um develop and progress through the eight scenes really kind of gets us to the point where we can, can get to a real good understanding of scripture and the, and the unfolding nature of, of the bible the, the story of the bible and those six themes are jesus uh, covenant presence is number three four is the theme of the kingdom kingdom of god number five is salvation number six is worship And we can look at the scriptures through each of those lenses as it were uh, and it really just helps shed some light and, and some clarification on it basically so let's pick up where we were and that's looking at the fifth scene which is the exile now the exile and this is dated to around about 500 bc kind of there or thereabouts it's for just a, a kind of a memory aid it's 500 years after the forming of the kingdom with samuel and david and solomon at 1000 bc so in effect you know the kingdom of israel the kingdom of judah um and all those kings that um we, we talked about last time that's kind of over a 500 year period if you like you know there or thereabouts and um, picking up at the exile is—it's worth just saying that obviously throughout these king, the kings that we'd had and we talked about, you know, the kings of Israel and the kings of um, Judah. God hasn't just abandoned this this kingdom. You know, uh, you know, we we, we understand, we, we we learn how they're in a cycle of sin, you know, calamity repent god rescues them he blesses them they get complacent they sin calamity and so on and so on and so on and and bar you know handful of good kings generally they're, they're just kind of either outright evil or they're just foolish and and uh, you know t- leading the people to idolatry and and kind of immorality really uh, often you know pretty keenly and, and outright um but throughout the, the history of both Israel and Judah, God sent them prophets. He sent his people prophets. And those prophets always come with the same message, which is repent, repent. And he, they remind them, they remind the people of the covenant that they've got in place with God, the covenant which was uh, you know instigated and initiated all the way back with Moses on the mountain in the wilderness. And some of the names that we'll, we'll know um, that you know, some of them have written parts of the scripture. And others are characters. You know, Elijah and Elisha, are prophets. Amos and Micah and Hosea, are prophets, with their own smaller uh, stories in the minor prophets. Isaiah was another one. And basically, the prophets pretty much come and they're mostly ignored. Uh, and their role is like kind of covenant enforcers or, or covenant keepers. Kind of say, guys, repent. God's spoken. You know he said he'll bless you if you do this but if you do this and bad things are going to happen if you don't repent bad things are going to happen and people have interpreted that as basically meaning there's doom and gloom coming and god's going to can't wait to smite but actually and this seems to be to me the story of scripture god's judgment often actually looks like God stepping back and saying okay look you're making your choices i'm warning you i'm saying to you this is a path to calamity you're not listening okay i'm going to step back and maybe then in your calamity you'll turn back to me you'll repent and then i will come in and because he's a god of mercy and grace and kindness and love he intervenes and steps in now the issue is that obviously 500 years of this um people say it's not, god had enough it's, i mean god's obviously infinitely forbearing and i think what it means is that is that you know that not that god realized because you know he, he's he knows everything he's omniscient. but it would it's clear it's crystal clear to everyone because there's centuries of this kind of dysfunctional behavior on the, on, on, for the nation that this old covenant isn't working it's not actually working helping people connect to god is it's basically doing nothing and they might be well going through all the sacrifices and the day of atonement each year and you know there's other commandments and they're doing all those things but actually it's not really touching their hearts it's not changing their behavior or the attitudes of them as an overall majority and so actually what seems to happen is you know is like i said is god step back steps back and says okay israel i'll start with you kingdom of israel you to kind of making your choices with how your kings are and what's happening. Okay. I'll step in away now. And what happens is the Assyrians come in and conquer the kingdom of Israel. And this is around about 722 BC. The Assyrians come from what is now northern Iraq. Now the Assyrians were a superpower and they were crazy. They were the kind of like if you like the one of the first nations to understand the concept of psychological warfare. They basically would go to uh, like cities or or nations and basically say you got one chance to surrender if you don't we're going to wipe you all out if people surrendered okay if they didn't surrender they would basically either just obliterate the city or starve them out depending what worked and then they would uh, basically kill all the men and they were all the women and the children would be sent to slavery uh, in various places in the Assyrian empire so split up and distributed and they would sorry for the graphic stuff here but they would take the rulers and they would flay them which basically means they would cut all the skin off their rulers and basically display them around their tents and their camps uh, like basically spread out like a blanket to basically say this is what happens to you if you basically don't bow to the assyrian might and that was terrifying of people because they weren't just about conquering basically it was either we'll conquer you or we will wipe you as a nation or as a tribe off the face of the planet that's basically it now that's basically what happened so basically what happened is these assyrians rock up and conquer israel and they organize a mass deportate mass, mass deporting of israel taking the people out of the promised land by force over the next 20 years and dispersing them throughout the Empire um, and uh, then obviously there's this land this promised land which is all of a sudden vacant and loads of people move in there's a few remnants of people uh you know Israelites are there, the bare bones. Um and obviously there's all the people from around um you know the tribes maybe historic people who used to live there or who are enemies of Israel who can see the opportunity and move in. And uh yeah that's basically what happens. Maybe there's a few Assyrian kind of you know people there just to kind of keep order and stuff. But basically in effect na- Israel is the nation the people is uh yeah they are spread out over the Assyrian Empire which was pretty vast. Now jerusalem and the southern kingdom of judah they keep going for another couple of hundred years their trouble comes around about 586 bc but this time it's not the assyrians it's the babylonians now the babylonians are actually from what is um southern iraq and and the babylonians kind of in effect took precedence over the assyrians um, they got a slightly different policy. Whether the Assyrians were basically like conquer or we would just, just basically obliterate you and spread you out and that's it. The Babylonians would uh, look at kind of people they conquered and go, right, we're going to take your smartest, brightest elite and we will basically bring you to us and we will, in effect, Babylon- Babylonize you and um, add to our kind of brains and intelligence and you know wisdom um and then turn them into rulers so that's what they did and so um what happens is when they conquered judah around about say 586 bc they took the elites which means all the rulers all the academics all the cleverest you know the educated and all the gifted young men including someone by the name of daniel and that's how daniel ends up in babylon he is a captive he's a slave and he's trafficked to babylon um, and he's basically given the best babylonian education and um, exposed to the, all the points of babylon culture and he's in effect they look to indoctrinate him as babylonian basically now jerusalem is destroyed and the people um are cast out of the promised land now we've got to pause here because we don't maybe fully understand what that means the law which is God's, you know given them his promises to the people of god you know going back to all the way back to abraham and that covenant he made with abraham in genesis is saying i'm going to give you a people that's your a land that's your own you are going to be blessed anyone who opposes you i will oppose and you know, they, they had jerusalem which was the city of god if you like because god lived there because the temple of god was there and actually what's happened is these Gentiles, these non-Jews, these people who are not the favored people of God, come in, destroy the temple, which is the house of God, like utterly destroyed it. Destroy Jerusalem, the city of God where God lived, and take the favored people of God out of the land that God had promised them. That is an incredible flip of their worldview because they've gone from being like considering themselves like the favored untouchable ones of of god to being slaves not even in their own land but in the land of gentiles the favored people of god no longer live in the land of god in the city of god with the house of god near them but they are slaves in the land of gentiles that's why they're like where are you god what's happened like god did you lose to other gods or god have you turned your back and abandoned us and this is what's happening and key prophets during this time are people like jeremiah who's called the weeping prophet because he's seeing this happen it's like the book of jeremiah is watching this unfold he's like telling them don't stop it stop it this is going to happen this is going to happen and then you know kind of like warning them uh, about what's about to take place and then kind of his heartbreak as he's watching it and then kind of after it's happened you know the, the part of isaiah covers this ezekiel is another one uh, talking about this i mean actually the book of lamentations is is a book written about the horrors of the destruction of jerusalem uh, and one of jeremiah's nicknames if you like is the weeping prophet psalm 137 um, begins with by the rivers of babylon we sat and wept you know, now it's a boney m song some of you will know what i'm talking about by the rivers of babylon in this foreign land we sat we wept the people of god when we remembered zion and zion is another name for the jerusalem the city of god Is saying we remember where we lived and we're now in a foreign land and we remember what we had and what's been lost the temple's destroyed The house of God is destroyed utterly to the world, you know, the Solomon's temple that was the, you know, incredible and, you know, famous and the best material and all the wealth of Israel and the best of the world came to build this thing, annihilated to the entire world and to themselves. The people of God are now not just the same as any other people, but they're the same as any other conquered people but God's kind and God's merciful and in this heartbreak the prophets begin speaking of a new day they start speaking about when people the people would be sent back to the promised land and actually there's going to be an anointed leader a messiah and messiah means anointed one would come and rescue them from slavery there's the prophet starts speaking about how god's going to make a new agreement a new covenant not one that's written on stone like the ten commandments but one that's written on their hearts there's prophecies which are talking about how everyone will know me not just the prophets but all of them will know god personally there's prophetic words about how even the holy spirit will come and the spirit will be poured out on all flesh on all of them not just the priests not just the prophets not just the kings not just for a purpose to do something special but actually the holy spirit will be on every single one of them the old and the young male and the female all types that's what the prof- the prophet starts speaking about in this kind of the darkest time of israel's history if you like now you know empires rise empires fall and we can see that through history but when you're in the middle of it it seems like eternity then superpowers are here but actually what happens is that the babylonians fall to the persians the persians conquer The Babylonian Empire. And the Persians, they've got a very different kind of thing. Um, now they've inherited obviously this kind of what was Assyrian and Babylonian kind of mix. They don't have a policy of keeping people and distributing amongst the empire because you know they're not worried about that. What they kind of say is anyone who wants to go home can go home. And that's what happens. Now, not everyone's gonna go home. Some people have made new lives and they, they've made um, you know, new they've started again. They they've they've made it made it come good. And they are in all four corners of the empire, but some want to go home. And the, the Persian Emperor he's he gives permission, he makes a decree and says, You can go home if you want to if you want to go home, you can return home. And this is where Ezra comes in, and Nehemiah coming. Ezra is a priest and he' Takes a remnant back to Jerusalem, and he doesn't want the same thing to happen again. So he wants to, to remind the people of the, the commitment, the covenant to God, to teach the people, uh, to in effect spiritually teach them again what it means to be the people of God. Nehemiah is, uh, you know, goes from being cupbearer to the emperor to being, you know, basically, literally standing at the hand, right hand of the emperor, and so being kind of an unofficial counselor and sounding board, and um, passing his drinks he comes home he takes people home and he basically administrates and manages as project manages the rebuilding of jerusalem the rebuilding of the city um he he kind of takes with the people they see the temple rebuilt they see the law re- restored and retaught and reprioritized and and haggai and zechariah um that they prophesy into this and, and they all sort of talking about this whole season where jerusalem is being rebuilt and it's being repopulated and that's kind of almost like the, the, the return as it were the return from exile um now even now though even after the exile there are people still worshipping false gods um and there's more prophets come and habakkuk and zephaniah and malachi are amongst them and many of the people ignore the prophets you know it's almost like that the, the people just they, they don't get it they don't get it malachi is like that he writes the last book of the old testament he's he's the final prophet and then what you get is silence you get 400 years where there is no prophet it's like the last word of the prophets was the promise of a messiah and the promise of a new agreement a new covenant to come and that's the promises that some of the people hold on to some of them don't they kind of try and just get on with things normally but basically 400 years where there's no spokesman from god the 400 silent years between the end of malachi and basically the beginning of what is the new testament now during those four and it's called the 400 years of silence after malachi during those 400 years stuff still happens but israel never again really gains its lasting independence It's still ruled by Persians, still ruled by Gentiles. The Persians become conquered by the Greeks, as you know, kind of Alexander the Great. The syrians are all in charge of them at some point. They get 100 years or so of independence and then they're conquered by the Romans in 63 BC, you know, the all conquering Roman Empire. And that's kind of the history of of Israel. That's kind of the setting we have. And we end certainly the old testament with malachi but as it were 400 years happens before the new testament is introduced and the roman empire is in the scene so some of the books that we kind of obviously i've talked about some of them but to kind of get this understanding of what's going on during this exile period you've got second kings and second chronicles you know isaiah and Jeremiah talking about almost like the before during and after of the exile you've got so many minor prophets Hosea Joel Amos Nahum Jonah Habakkuk Micah Zephaniah um, you know Jonah just on a quick aside is talking about Nineveh the capital of the, the Assyrians and, and God's mercy to them lamentations lamenting the fall of Jerusalem Ezekiel's in there uh, you've got Daniel who is you know in Babylon working alongside multiple babylonian emperors and kings uh, as, a, as a as a counselor and a confident and, and he's a he's a major prophet he's prophesying so many things and, and some of them about jesus obadiah and haggai and zechariah are also prophets during this time um after the exile you, you've got the history you've got you know, the events that are recorded you've got ezra you've got nehemiah that's the kind of restoration history esther the book of esther that's kind of during the persian rule and so esther actually is you know as, as you know the story is uh, starts off as a concubine and ends up becoming the wife of um the persian emperor and all the kind of stuff that happens there uh, it shows kind of almost like as it were the heart of the persian emperor towards the, the 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 jews because of who esther is as his wife and then obviously malachi is the is the kind of last old testament book looking forward that brings us up to the end of this fifth scene the exile and uh we into scene six which is the story of jesus now 400 years between the end of the exile scene and jesus and we've had multiple conquerors as i said come and rule israel the romans at the start of the, the new testament the start of like the, the the jesus scene if i can say it the romans are in charge the romans occupy israel now generally what happens with the romans is they come and they impose their culture and they impose their gods on conquered nations they build lands and they build temples and they build cities and they try to kind of if you like culturalize the people they conquer but for some reason they actually give israel special privileges they give they make an exception for for israel um they still occupy israel they're still in charge by sure and you know, obviously you read the gospels and roman soldiers is not and in greek you know roman names as it were is not um unusual actually when you read some of the place names or people but they generally left the people alone to worship as they wished as long as they paid their taxes and as long as they did what they were told um but they're still occupiers and they're still conquerors and they're still despised because they're gentiles <laughs> Now, you have to remember the last kind of the prophetic promise that's echoing around the, the kind of national consciousness is that there is a, a Messiah coming. He's going to rescue them. A Messiah. God is going to send an anointed one to rescue them. And there are many different interpretations of what that is. But basically, if you are a people who are oppressed and you're a people who are conquered and you are reading accounts of a anointed ruler coming to save you you're probably or what seems to happen is you make there's an assumption made or the interpretation is made that this is a military ruler this is a political ruler who is going to basically throw out this imperial conqueror probably force probably power it's kind of going to in a sense be like a kind of a combination of the political and military worlds and that's what's going to happen this messiah the expectation or anticipation is that the messiah is going to liberate israel from the foreign occupiers and actually different leaders had risen up over those years and some claimed to be the messiah or people assumed they were the messiah actually and many were political many were military figures and actually varying degrees gathered followings and you know fought back maybe minor successes small rebellions squabbles but pretty much always failed to overthrow the enemy and the romans were very harsh with who what they would do and how they would deal with so israel was kind of troublesome for them actually but because of the constant kind of probably because it's an, a lot of nationalistic pride and israel had this kind of we're the chosen ones of god so uh, you know we've got god on our side um but there were also lots of other ways where people would be looking to think how do we preserve israel how do we preserve this concept of israel this this kind of people of god um and so different religious and different political groups were formed and this is important because actually we see them in the gospels and how jesus and them interact there's all these different groups but they all disagreed on how best to kind of preserve and protect the concept of israel you know what makes israel israel The Pharisees, for example, they felt that the best way to preserve Israel, preserve Israel's uniqueness, was to strictly enforce the laws of Moses and one of the things they did was they saw one of the laws of moses the ten commandments and they actually made rules around those laws to make sure that no one got even close to breaking them and you know jesus talks about that you know it's like saying well if the law says don't walk you know (laughs) the law says don't walk two miles on the sabbath well we're going to make a rule that says you're not even allowed to walk one mile because they were so um kind of driven to to um please god that they would ring fence the law but they elevated their own laws and traditions to the same level as the laws of God, which is what Jesus says they do, and and made it harder for people to come close to God. But that was what their their essence, their heart was. In an actually funny way, originally started off as being good. The Herodians are another group. Now the Herodians were based around King Herod and his sons, and uh, it, King Herod is a puppet king, basically. Um, so the Herodians are a political group. They're kind of the followers and the loyalists to the, the the kind of puppet king that the Romans have kind of approved so they don't really consider him their real king there's some leading priests there as well and the Herodians felt that the best way to protect Israel was to basically compromise politically to partner with Rome and basically if we acquiesce and we give in and we don't fight then you know we'll be able to kind of quid pro quo we'll give a little we get a little we can preserve Jewish tradition we can preserve Jewish identity by not annoying the Romans so much that they basically wipe us out or or do whatever Um, so we're going to Basically, bargain the jews didn't like herod because he's a puppet king they put him in charge they rule them and they felt like he actually exploited them um because he actually built uh, roman temples he built buildings he named them after himself (laughs) and basically they looked at him as basically like a puppet king working for the romans and also using their money and their land to uh, dilute and undermine their national identity so herod was not very popular at all and he also uh, you know, I mean, there's a couple of King Herods because um, he names his sons, and sometimes the, the the Herods are crazy. And the Zealots, they're another group. Now they're freedom fighters. They are, um, yeah, they are the violent rebels. Seize arms! We're going to fight back. And they use force. They use terrorism to fight the Romans. So they kind of had this view of the Messiah as someone who's going to lead them in the battle. Quick pause here. One of the disciples was called Simon the Zealot. So Simon the Zealot. Freedom fighter, or terrorist to the Romans, depending how you look at it. He's one of Jesus' small group. Also, part of Jesus' small group is Matthew the tax collector. Hmm. the romans tax the jews the jews hate the romans so they hate giving money to the romans so the only thing they probably hate more than the romans is a jew who works for the romans and matthew's a tax collector so he works for the romans and he takes their money and the way the the tax collectors would uh, tax would be to get paid they would exploit and charge more than they actually had to so they would take money and steal money from jews so matthew who is therefore an employee of the romans and exploitative one and simon the zealot Imagine those two being prayer partners in a small group. The part of Jesus is in a circle, though. So that's the zealots. Now the Sadducees—they're another group, and again, you see them in the Gospels and Acts. They want to retain power, but they retain power by through the priestly system so they basically like we need to have a theocracy we need to have uh the priests in charge because we're a a spiritual nation if you like we're 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 a priestly nation so if the priests are the ones with the power not the kings not politicians it needs to be the priests who know the scriptures know um you know god's what god says is right or wrong and we will basically rule with that in mind now, that means that they're pretty much rich and because they're, they're educated and you had to be rich to probably get really educated and if you're educated, you get rich. They're religious and they're compromisers who, again, played politics and often had powerful political positions to be able to, in effect, instigate um, and, and govern using the law and using uh, kind of priestly requirements. And then uh, the final one, the final group that was kind of kicking around that was a bit more major was what's called the SNs and they separate themselves from the world they are the guys who basically go do you know what this is crazy we're going to go to the desert we're going to go hide in the desert live in the desert we're going to keep holy by being away from all the unholy stuff and we're going to wait for the messiah to come and arrive and then he'll help us out this is the context and the world and the society that jesus is born into two thousand years after abraham so we've had 400 years of silence we've not had any prophets there's roman occupation the general feeling is that god is judging israel because it's still occupied but at some point a messiah is coming to liberate it's just there's been so many false messiahs and then there's a man in the desert who appears. A voice in the desert. He's wearing odd clothes. He's eating odd things. Locusts and honey. But he's proclaiming the words of the prophet Isaiah. Written 500 or so years earlier. Prepare the way for the Lord. This is John the Baptist. Now people go to him. Because they've not had a prophet for 400 years. They go to him and they say are you the Messiah? And he says no I'm not the Messiah someone else is coming after me i baptize you with water which was a sign of repentance get ready turn to god but one's coming who's going to baptize you with fire and then it's almost like out of nowhere in a sense you know jesus is baptized jesus is baptized and then starts his ministry his traveling ministry he tours judea he, he tours galilee the you know jewish areas he stays within the jew the, the jewish kind of confines as it were of the land and he announces his message of the kingdom the gospel of the kingdom which is repent turn to god turn away from everything else turn to god and he backs up he's teaching a new way he's interpreting the law he's in effect sometimes even overwriting the law and the scriptures you know you, you you've heard it, it's written but i tell you you know he's healing people showing the power of god he's casting out demons bringing liberation he's performing miracles to show that he's kind of as he were god's endorsed one he challenges injustice he challenges the hypocrisy of the religious people And people follow him. People are looking to him. And some are looking to him because of the the signs. And some are looking to him because of the healings. Some are looking to him maybe because they think he's got got the political power. Some are looking to him because they can see that it's about being a disciple. Not all the followers of Jesus are disciples of Jesus. He takes 12 apprentices as his disciples. And the people love him because he heals. He shows compassion. He teaches with authority. And he challenges the Pharisees he challenges the sadducees the problem is the more popular he becomes the more he's a threat because he doesn't fit the image of the messiah that many people in many of these groups have because to the pharisees he's a lawbreaker he's not interested in their traditions he actually puts people first he's a friend of sinners he hangs around with the people who are so far away from god and under judgment because of the law and the rules of the pharisees so jesus can't be the messiah how can he be the herodians don't know what to do with him because he hasn't got an interest in political power or office the zealots the, the, the 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 warmongers the freedom fighters he he turns the other cheek he's not interested in war or taking up arms the the sns who have retreated and isolated themselves and 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 trying to keep themselves holy don't understand him because he he's friends with sinners and he goes to parties with sinners and he's not kind of trying to have this kind of holy withdrawal thing going on but he's amongst the people and to the sadducees he's questioning everything that they say all their beliefs and their doctrines and he's threatening all the things that they believe they need to cling to power because he's talking about tearing down the temple and this you know disregarding this uh you know the new temple that had been built by herod to try and appease people he's, he's saying no we're gonna tear it down we tear it down in three days and the are like what what's more important though as much as all those things are pushing the buttons of the, the different groups he jesus is claiming to be divine he's claiming to be god now make no bones about that that is explicit in the, certainly the gospel of John there's a, an account where he basically says that and the, the, the Pharisees pick up stones to, to stone him there and then because they know what he's saying and the this kind of um you know he's forgiving sins which only God can do he um this blasphemy or, or what they perceive to be blasphemy um because it doesn't fit with what they think the messiah is going to be like gives all the factions the ammunition they need to basically deal with jesus and to be able to go to the romans the rulers and basically say we need to do this 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 popular people's champion he's a threat to you romans because he's calling himself the king of the jews oh no you're in charge and they can do it pass it over to the romans and not worry about riots or rebellions And so what happens is Jesus is betrayed, Jesus is accused, and Jesus is executed. But he rises again, he spends time with his disciples and he gives them key instructions and key teaching. And then he ascends to heaven. And actually Jesus' death, Jesus' life, death, resurrection is the center point of the Bible story. It's the key event of the Bible story. It's where prophecies are pulled together and it bits the platform for everything after. It changes everything. And we read the four Gospels, understanding this context, to see how Jesus lives and speaks, teaches and dies. And that's the sixth scene of the Bible story, looking at the story of Jesus. Now, scene seven, the church, is documented in the book of Acts that's the history if you like of the early church and obviously we have all the new testament letters written by paul who you know has an encounter with the risen jesus and john peter and james who are all uh, were part of that original 12 disciples they're now apostles and also the, the letter to the hebrews which we don't know the author of um but those letters all kind of document uh, church history and, and the church wrestling with what does this uh what does it mean to to live following jesus what does it mean to live the gospel out uh, and depending on the letters some of the letters are written to jews some are written to non-jews because this gospel is expanded and the kingdom is expanded to not just the jews but the non-jews as well and and uh, so these letters are kind of saying, right what does this mean for you gentile what does this mean for you jews the, the disciples uh, uh, they all follow jesus instructions that he gave them before he ascended they wait in jerusalem and pentecost the holy spirit comes and empowers them to do all that jesus had taught them and that itself fulfills prophecy because before the holy spirit was only ever poured out on prophets or priests or kings who were gonna do a special task for god but now all people and they go out and in the power of god preaching the, the, the gospel of god which is repent turn away and turn to jesus you'll come into the kingdom live into the kingdom live under the rule of god and many people are quote unquote born again now the church grows over the following years they care for the poor they heal the sick and they plant churches across the world um and obviously church history continues to show how the church has been handling different things and sometimes well and sometimes really not very well at all but the book of acts we we, we introduced to the apostle paul who was a superstar pharisee remember the Pharisees not just the law but laws around the law he harries the church he boos the church he hates Christians he presides over imprisonments and executions because these are you know <laughs> basically false believers as it were he has got a he gets a powerful conversion experience becomes a key leader and an evangelist to the non-jewish world and so he, he becomes a letter writer an author and uh, yeah he writes a big chunk of the New Testament and we see um, as we say the rest of church history between you over the last 2000 years forms this church scene and we're still living in it we are still writing church history today this month this year last year next year decades as well and this brings us into the final scene the final scene of the bible story which is the new heavens and the new earth and this is covered not exclusively but probably primarily by the book of revelation and the the book of the um the book of revelation is an account of prophetic visions that the apostle john receives whilst he's banished onto the on an island of patmos now it's full of imagery and it's full of kind of metaphor and pictures and it shares many links actually with other old testament prophetic books which is called apocalyptic literature it shares lots of crossover and links and imagery with ezekiel and with daniel and it's basically uh, it's basically it's called revelation because it's a revealing of the glory of jesus john who was Jesus' best friend sees jesus as he is from basically heaven in all his heavenly glory it contains an account of that and what jesus says to him and jesus explaining some things to him and saying send these messages out to some churches um john gets an insight into uh kind of the events in heaven and things that are happening in heaven and it talks about the last days of, of the earth and the second coming of christ now different people do interpret revelation in different ways um some people think that most of the events have happened some people think that so they that they're actually happening now and some people think that they're all yet to happen wherever you are on that it's pretty clear that there are some things that have yet to unfold because jesus hasn't come back yet um but revelation is if you like the book that looks forward to the completion of god's plan it looks to the restoration of what was lost in eden that kind of relationship and um That kind of uh, interaction intimacy with God it's where the people of God live in the presence of God Um, there's a a, there's a recreation where kind of the heavens and the earth are are made perfect how God intended so it's why we talk about a new heavens a new earth like as good as new Um, what was lost in Eden is given back and there's an undoing of all the evil that came from the fall there's no more pain or war disease suffering it brings together the whole story of redemption that we've been seeing through the other 65 books of the bible revelation if you like the end of revelation is the happily ever after of the bible story and that's kind of where it ends it ends with humanity and god together forever just as it was meant to be back in the beginning all the way back in eden eden is restored but because restoration in the kingdom is always better than before it means that actually the new heavens and new earth will be better than eden better than what we saw in genesis but that's the bible story that's how it all comes around in a sense full circle and it all kind of ultimately weaves and leads to this point and i hope that as we've been talking today, you've been, uh, you know, maybe refreshing or, or inspiring or invigorating or clarifying. Um, but the Bible really is a, a, a wonderfully complex but beautiful book, a beautiful story that God has revealed and given and that progresses over time using flawed people and flawed accounts of of you know people trying to do well and sinners and and heroes and villains and and injustice and justice but god working it all out to get to where he always wanted which was a people who are friends with him so i hope this has been a blessing um, and i'm going to pray for you just as, as we end um that yeah the bible story becomes even more real and uh, even more um f- shaping for us all because we all need it so, Father, I want to thank you for your scriptures. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for uh, the story of God. It's your story. It's your story of of you with us and uh, and us with you. And God, I thank you that throughout this story, we see you as gracious and kind and loving and faithful. Um, and Father, I just pray for everyone who's listening. Give us a new thirst, a new hunger for your scriptures. Give us new insight, new clarity. Uh, help us kind of connect it better and connect it more deeply than we have before. Uh, lord thank you you speak to us for your word and lord thank you that your word your written word is meant to lead us to the living word to you jesus Would we see you in every page Would we see you in every chapter Would we see you in every verse Would we see you in every book and not lose the point by burying ourselves in a book but that the book would be a, a platform and, a, and a, as it were even like a trampoline into increased depth with you lord i ask that for all of us in your name amen uh, thanks for listening Take care. Thank you for listening. Find us on Instagram, Facebook or search Hope Church Glasgow on your favourite podcast player.